Attention Northwest Arkansas businesses and talent seekers. Introducing Onboard NWA.com, your hyperlocal job board crafted for our unique community. Struggling to find the perfect match for your job openings? Onboard NWA simplifies the hiring process, connecting you with the region's top talent through tailored talent matching solutions. Whether you're an employer seeking expertise or a professional looking for your next opportunity, Onboard NWA is here for you. Discover more at onboardnwa.com and let's build the future of Northwest Arkansas together. Hello, Northwest Arkansas. Randy here, bringing you a quick word from our sponsor, Signature Bank of Arkansas. Since 2005, Signature Bank has been all about empowering our community with local ownership and top-notch banking services. Signature Bank's roots run deep with assets over a billion dollars, and they're right here in your backyard with branches in Bentonville, Rogers, Springdale, Fayetteville, and now including Harrison and Jonesboro. With a growing family of more than 200 teammates, they're ready to serve you with the warmth only a true community bank can offer. And they've got Banco C, the first bilingual bank in Arkansas, to ensure that banking is for everyone. So give Signature Bank a call at 479-684-3700 or visit Signature.Bank online. Mention you heard about them on the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast for that personal touch. Signature Bank of Arkansas, big on assets, local at heart, and a proud member of the FDIC and an equal housing lender. It's time for another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas, the podcast covering the intersection of business, culture, entrepreneurship, and life in general here in the Ozarks. Whether you are considering a move to this area or trying to learn more about the place you call home, we've got something special for you. Here's our host, Randy Wilburn. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited today. One of the things that, and this is my little preamble before this episode starts, but one of the things that I've really been trying to do is try to connect the dots on different programs and organizations here in Northwest Arkansas that just, you know, we need to get to get by. And there are all kinds of organizations. We've had a chance to sit down with some charter schools. We Hope Academy there in Bentonville. We've connected with some other organizations here, and we're going to have some new episodes coming up that talk about the fabric of life in Northwest Arkansas and the things, the services that are here at our disposal. If you live in Northwest Arkansas, if you're coming to Northwest Arkansas and you're wondering, are these things available here? Well, they absolutely are. And today, today's episode is no exception. I'm sitting here with Amanda Childs, who is with CSI, which is Community Service Inc. They're based out of Russellville. But they recently opened up an office here in Northwest Arkansas where, where everything happens. And it's exciting to sit here with Amanda and she was telling me her story and her background and it's amazing. And I had to stop her because I was like, you know what, we got to get this all on tape and so that we can share a little bit about her superhero origin story and then kind of get into how CSI came to set up shop here in Northwest Arkansas and the difference they're trying to make in the lives of young people and I'm not going to steal any of her thunder. So without further ado, Amanda Childs, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. It is so great to have you on here. And we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. And we're meeting socially distant. For those of you that can't see this, because nobody can see this, because you're only going to hear the audio, but we are meeting socially distant. And it's kind of nice to be in front of somebody else, <laughs> a human Especially being. Especially right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's it's exciting to do that. So I would love for you just to kind of share a little bit about your superhero origin story 
who Amanda Childs is and how you came to to come work with CSI. Well, yeah. So I I was actually born in England. My father's English and my mom had just moved over there. She found a job, of course, fell in love with a man. And when we were living in England, it's just really hard to live over there. And we did not have good economic standing. So we found ourselves homeless for a bit. And I had family in Louisiana. And so they let us move in for a, a while. And from there, we just kind of moved from place to place. And I kind of grew up. My parents were very interested in kind of what people think they should see mm-hmm. rather than the reality of what our lives were. So Is growing that like up, keeping up with the Joneses? Oh, very much so. <laughs> okay. yeah, right. it, very much so. <laughs> so. You know, my mom has a good heart and my dad has a good heart, but, you know, it's it's hard to be a parent. It really is. And I think for them, they were in a tough spot and they were both alcoholics and just struggling to kind of get by, but they wanted the best for me. And and I know they did, but I think sometimes, yeah, kids look at their parents and they're like, you just don't get it. And I think I very much grew up with that mentality. My parents just didn't get it. And I struggled in school. I was always that cute little blonde headed girl in school. So I would just walk around and be really quiet and Nobody paid much mind to me. And so I think, you know, I grew up and I didn't really do much homework and I didn't do really well in school. And I think it was about in fifth grade where a teacher kind of called me out in class and wanted me to read out loud. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And she realized I couldn't read. I mean, you're talking had to have been 10, 11, somewhere around there. And just I could not read. I think in my life, I've probably read like four books cover to cover at this point. But but that's about it. So I really... I really had to learn how to adapt and deal and move on. And my parents weren't really aware of all that. Again, my dad was English, so it was even more of a culture shock. But being English, I grew up with a lot of those same same habits. So when I went to school, you know, kids would kind of pick on me because I wasn't I wasn't raised in like the American style home. I ate weird food. And so it was an interesting growing up. But I did do some activities. I I learned how to sail a boat when I was like seven and then did that all the way up until forever. <laughs> and then eventually I started teaching sailing camp because our sailing camp was going to close. And so I borrowed a boat and had a couple of kids come out there and would teach them how to sail boats. And I've always just kind of had that passion for, I think, helping. And then when I was about 13, I had an uncle pass away of AIDS. And I thought, oh, you know, of course it was in the 90s and everyone was kind of freaked out, like don't. And my interest peaked. And I was like, you know what? I felt like that compassion for people who went through a horrible situation. And I said, no, I, I want to volunteer. I want to work with people who are diagnosed with AIDS. And I had to go through a couple of couple of people who were like, are you sure? You know, you're young. So I had to get tested when I was really young. And I actually worked in a halfway house with men who were homeless due to an AIDS diagnosis. So there was a nursing facility there too. And I'd work with the nurses and they'd let me bake cookies and go play chess and listen to those men's stories. And just, it, I loved it. I really did. And I ended up having to go speak to like like the city council on it even wow. because at that time nobody was doing that stuff. Yeah. And so from there I just I got into a lot of volunteering and but I didn't really care about school because I was just volunteering like I was making people, you know, feel good and I didn't like school. I didn't do well in school. Even when they found out that I wasn't reading very well, they, you know, continued to kind of pass me and like, all right, you know, and by um high school they actually had to get me tested and they were like, "Oh, you know, you're really dyslexic. You I, they did a whole like plethora of tests. And I think they came up with, you know, the the examiner looked at me and he was like, you know, your education level that you're at is really low. And he, he was like, I don't know that you'll ever really, you know, go to college or succeed in college or academics, you know. And I just kind of looked at him like, all right, whatever. You know, he kind of wrote me off. And, and based off the information he had, I mean, I get it. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, numbers are numbers. And so, but he didn't, he did say that, you know, my logic skills were pretty high and I had a much higher IQ which was odd, but at the time. That's the case though. I mean, just, you know, I mean, to interject, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of people, and and this is very, you know, as you shared with me, it was very personal for me. And what I didn't tell you is that my wife is actually a dyslexia tutor. So she's a certified dyslexia. She works with kids and adults from that perspective. And well, first of all, I think what the statistic, and I've shared this before on on the podcast, is that one in five grade school kids are dyslexic. And a majority of them go undiagnosed mm-hmm. for a long period of time. It's always, oh, Harry reads slow or Susan can't read. <laughs> you know, she's I mean, and it's it's yep. never, you know, and, and, you know, the schools do what they can to try to diagnose it. But it is a gaping hole that we have in our education system 
when it comes to addressing dyslexia. I'm pretty sure you would agree with that. Yeah. And and it's hard to identify. I mean, I never really knew that I was dyslexic. I just couldn't read. I'd lose track and it, it was difficult. But and I actually didn't really see the, the manifestation of my dyslexia and actually until I started like working in my 20s mm-hmm. because I would read an email and respond to it. And I'd get someone to email me back and was like, did you actually read it? Yeah. Because I would flip words around yeah. and I didn't realize it. So sometimes I have to like catch myself and not respond to emails for a good 24 hours. <laughs> so I have time to like actually go back and look at it. But no, I, you know, they, in school, especially back then, there weren't a lot of resources and a lot of support for kids. And I got bullied in school. I mean, and, and we're not talking like, oh, kids were just mean and hurt my feelings. Like I actually had like a burn mark on my body from a kid who was like, hey, feel this. Mm-hmm. And so... So I had a really tough time and I very much like went inward. So school, I didn't want to be there. I wasn't doing well at it. So by the time I got to like my senior year of high school, I just wasn't going. And when I did go, I felt very alienated. So I just made it worse. Yeah. So I would like wear very odd clothes or I would, you know, bring random books and like leave them around and, you know, just stuff to kind of even more so I just kind of decided nobody liked me. So. Going to school, just didn't care. My mom decided, you know, she was going to apply for me to go to college and she did. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to college now. And it was six hours away from home and I didn't like being home. So I was like, all right, we're going. And it that I think was the the pinnacle of like changing my life around my first semester of college. I think I made a point six seven or something like that. Wow. And they were like, all right. You're overachieving. Oh, yeah. Right. Like I was really <laughs> so. trying to go for something. But I remember walking into like one of my finals and asked the teacher, like, so if I actually like make a hundred on this, well, I passed the class and he was like, probably not. I was like, it's nice knowing you have a good one. And so, but I, I got into a sorority somehow. I tried to even like sabotage that a couple of times, but it didn't work. Yeah. So I got in and all of a sudden I had a group of very supportive girls who cared about my grades. They cared about my activities. They made me feel accepted and they actually cared. And I didn't have that growing up. You know, my parents loved me, but to be invested in a kid is a different story. Mm-hmm. And my, both my parents were much older. And so I was just kind of like the the third wheel. But I, I learned a lot of skills to take care of myself. I learned how to adapt. And so when right before even I left for college, I lost um, a good friend of mine. And when she passed away, that that was really hard on me because she was still in high school. So all I could picture like repeatedly was these are all the opportunities she'll never get. She'll never get married. She'll never have kids. She'll never. And she was a good kid. She went to school. She did her grades. And here I was, the kid who wasn't invested in anything, who, you know, didn't really care one way or the other. And, you know, the project was a, a block above me and the crack park was a block below me. Like, I, I just didn't, I didn't have, how did I make it? And she didn't. Yeah. And so by the time I left college, I think a lot of my sorority sisters nowadays would even tell you, like, I wanted to either start a nonprofit or work for a nonprofit focused on adolescents and juveniles, because I think I can empathize with that feeling of what is the purpose. I think a lot of our kids struggle with, you know, when they're, when they're sitting there talking about drug use or they're talking about not going to school, I always tell every kid, you're invincible until proven otherwise. Yeah. And the problem is at that age, you're not going to get that proof for a little bit. You know, a lot of these kids don't lose their friends that early on. A lot of these kids don't see their life choices. And, you know, I'll share with them and I'm like, you know, the choices you're making don't, you know, they always say open a window. What you're doing is you're closing a door that's five hallways down that you're not going to see. So when you're talking about like juveniles that are using drugs, I had a conversation with a kid the other day about it. And I said, you know, all right, it's not a big deal to you now. You can still do your schoolwork. You can still go to school. But what happens when you get addicted to it and then your job drug screens you for it and you can't get off of it long enough to get that drug screen? Well, now this great job that could have made you tons of money, you're now not getting. Yeah. Or my father, you know, he used drugs growing up and he drank a whole lot. And unfortunately, he passed away at a pretty young age for, for him. And my daughter, looking at her, like those two were like two peas in a pod when she was a baby. And he lost out on that opportunity by the choices he made Absolutely. at that age. Yeah. And so I understand why kids can't see it. It's like, you know, when you talk, when you're a mom and you look at your teenage daughter and you're like, please don't get pregnant. I know why. I know the exhaustion and how much you have to sacrifice. I had some, I had my 20s 
So I know how much fun you can have. Mm -hmm. So when I see a 19 year old getting pregnant, I'm like, oh my gosh, like you just threw away the best part of your life because you have that freedom. But because they've never experienced it, they don't know. Yeah. So it's definitely being able to find those ways to communicate to them as to, I get that you don't see the consequences of what could happen, but I'm willing to like hold your hand through trying to figure it out. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's so, I mean, everything that you're saying makes so much sense. And I think you also mentioned something else earlier before we started recording where you were saying how there was, you know, one individual that really spoke into your life and college outside of your sorority sisters as far as their encouragement. And, you know, I think there's something about that. I mean, what I've been told from many of my friends that have pledged, whether fraternity or sorority, you know, there is a bonding, you know, a sisterhood or a brotherhood that exists where each of you looks out for each other. But you also had a professor that really took a liking to you. So, and that wasn't the yeah. same professor that you asked about the, no, the test. No. And, and so that was a difference maker as well. Yeah. And, yeah. And he's still involved in my life to a degree. It's, it was interesting because obviously like I struggled in school. So when I got to college, I failed my first semester. I was like, oh, well, this is just the pattern. Like this is who I am. And so, yeah, that sisterhood was like, no, like let's find classes that you can make good grades in, mm-hmm. you know? So I took a psychology class and I would say, you know, everybody's got a skill. It's kind of like superpowers. I'm not going to lie. I always use this with kids, but it's true. Everybody's kind of got their own skill, just like Marvel, right? I think mine is people. I can understand and connect with people. I, I get told all the time, like I'm easily, it's easy to relate to me and whatnot. And I think I figure out people in my head. So psychology, like done. I took it. The teacher helped me on my final and helped me get an A and I was like sold. Well, from there, I've always kind of been interested in criminal justice and law and whatnot. And so I met, I took a criminal justice class and his name was Chancellor, Arthur Chancellor. And I took his class and he was so interesting to me because the way he taught was more about connection and being able to associate things. Yeah. So from there is when I really learned, oh, that's the kind of learning style I have. If I can associate what I'm learning to something I know, then it builds those connections in my brain. And so he would always just make jokes all the time and he was just very understandable. And I mean, I would never read a book. I couldn't read books very well, but I would sit in his class and just take notes. And I still have my notebooks to this day from every class I took with him. And I studied serial killers and I worked with him actually under their cold case task force Hmm. for the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation for a little while. Okay. And when I looked at him and I was getting closer to graduation, I was like, okay, so what do I do now? Because I, I graduated with psychology and in criminal justice as a minor. Psychology was my major. So you really can't do a whole lot with psychology and not even always so much with criminal justice. I didn't want to be a police officer. And so I kind of looked at him and was like, so what do I do now? Because I didn't have direction. It took me a long time to kind of get a solid direction. And he was like, you need to work with people. Yeah. You need to be an advocate. You can connect with people. And of course, I'm very sarcastic and I have a crazy sense of humor. And so I looked at him, I was like, but I don't like people. I don't want to work with people. And he was like, yes, you do. You'll do great. And so from there, he said work as an advocate. So this is kind of a slightly embarrassing story, but very true. So I graduated and I was looking for my first real job, like as an adult college graduate. And I found a job and it was, it was called the Advocacy Center. So I was like, oh, he said I should be an advocate. That's where I'm going to apply. Yeah. Did not know what the job actually was. I cannot lie. And you know, when you're in college and you're getting your bachelor's, they show you like all these different populations, severe mental illness, you know, developmental disabilities. And I was like, okay, those are the two populations I'm not working with. I don't want to work with severely mentally ill and I don't want to work developmental disabilities. They were intimidating and I was, I didn't feel prepared for it. Sure. Well, the advocacy center was for developmentally disabled adults living in, living in facilities. And so I, you know, I applied for it and I got the job and then I go in and I'm like, oh, that's what this is. So if that puts in perspective how much I did not have like a vision at that point. But in in college, I I told a lot of my sorority sisters I really wanted to work with adolescents. And I think everything kind of happens for a reason. So I think I went through like all these adult services and worked all this to get prepared to work for this. Yeah. I think had I started this kind of work in my 20s, I don't think I would have been able to do it with the security that I have now. Like you've got to find yourself first. Absolutely. So in in I just I got a great experience from the Advocacy Center and then just kind of built on from there, which brought me up here. I got married to my college sweetheart and he got a job with Walmart 
you know, typical small, com- small company up the road. Yeah, exactly. Typical <laughs> Northwest Arkansas love story. Right. And so we moved up here and I was able to work in a residential place for adults with severe mental illness. And I absolutely loved it. And from there, it just kind of grew. And then I started working in schools and then CSI came up here and they were looking for jobs. And I knew some of the people at the probation office, the juvenile probation office, and they called me and they said, hey, we really think you might be interested in this kind of job. And I was like, okay, well, you know, and I looked more into it and then I applied and I did my interview and it literally is the like pinnacle of what, when I was 20, I knew I wanted to do. I didn't know how to do it, but I knew I wanted it. So when they came around, I was like, all right, I'm sold. Man. So it's almost like all those hours and time that you put in doing what you did really prepared you perfectly for this moment in time. Exactly. And been able to step up. So tell me, CSI, Community Service Inc., how come I'm surprised that they're just now coming to Northwest Arkansas? Yeah. What, so what's that all about? Well, t- talk a little bit about CSI and, you know, their evolution of coming up here because they've been around for a while. Yeah, they started in 1958 in the Conway area. And in how they got started is literally in the title. There was a judge, Audrey Strait, who felt that there needed to be more services for these kids who were going through the juvenile justice system to really combat that. And so I think it was like four other people got with her and they focused on just doing their community service to help these kids. And from there, they've kind of stayed in that area. They're in small, they're in smaller offices. They have Russellville, which is one of their bigger offices, but it really was primarily focused on how do we address the needs of the of the kids going through the juvenile justice system so that we can reduce these numbers. You know, so many kids were getting kind of locked up and, you know, for making really crazy decisions sometimes, but to really address the needs for probation and what are some alternative services they could do. And so from there, they've just kind of grown. And I think, you know, we've got Moralton, we've got Russellville, we've got a few satellite offices where we have juvenile justice case managers out of some of them. Our officers are also working as probation officers in some courts, but it really is focused on the juvenile justice system. And in the last year, DYS has a contract, you know, to help provide services for kids that are going through probation or that are just going through that system in general. And there's always a provider assigned to that contract. Well, the last year, previously, it had been YouthBridge. And this past year, the contract came available. And that's when CSI was like, okay, we really want to jump on this opportunity. And I think it was a great decision. But, you know, coming from like that central Arkansas area, you know, I think they knew that there was a very much a need up here. But I think now they're really seeing like, oh my gosh, there's so much more. Yeah. And, yeah. and the ladies that are all on the executive team and um, even I deal with a lot more of like the four main ladies on the executive team, but their their entire executive staff is so dedicated and so driven to help to where, you know, we provide services where no one gets a bill. Right. So if kids come to see us, there's no bill. They never get billed. They have their own foundation to help support the agency. I mean, just the way the whole agency is built is very, is a great model. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously there's a, there's, I guess there's enough, there's enough both, are you guys getting both private and public funding or? Yeah. So we have the DYS contract that helps more so with our, like, the kids that are going through probation, and that's focused on providing them case management services and their families' case management services, classes. That's all much needed, though. Yes. Yeah. Like we have an after school program to really, especially right now with COVID, everything, kids are, are losing some of their education just because, hey, now you're working from home. Okay. Now you're working from the school. Now you're working from home. You know, bless those teachers to have to bounce back and forth. And the kids are, you know, struggling. So we, we started an after school program. We offer, a boys council group and we just work with the probation office to really find okay what are the services needed we also provide the mental health services mm-hmm. and i think those are just two really strong areas but then yes as we grow more up here we're going to do more fundraisers and to really help get some support so that we can deliver these programs to more than just you know one small population it's still a small population as it is but you know we want to grow and be able to provide all these services Preventative services are, you know, very much needed. Yeah. And you mentioned mental health, which that's another thing that goes undiagnosed for a long period of time. And I would have to imagine that with the age of social media and the age of spin that it has, that has exacerbated the mental health challenges that a lot of young people face. And they go into adulthood 
not dealing with those challenges. And so they become, they don't become well-adjusted young adults, young adults. I mean, they, they're carrying major baggage with them. Yeah. And I think one of the things, especially with social media and, and I'll do like, you know, activities with my kids to kind of help them understand, like, if you've got this medium range that you're used to dealing with emotions, like you're going to have the good, you're going to have the bad. Well, if you have a bad emotion, you've got to kind of deal with it. But social media, I can get on Snapchat and send 12 people a message that, you know, my life sucks and my parents are so mean to me. And I'm immediately going to get feedback of, oh, my God, no, you're loved and da, 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 da. And so they're not actually dealing with the fact that your parents probably don't not love you. It probably just is the issue that like y'all got into a fight because they expected something and you didn't want to deliver or they expected something and you didn't understand. Yeah. And but, you know, kids are so nowadays looking at outside to, you know, justify their being. And that is where social media is just making it so much harder. You know, if my friend can post up all these beautiful pictures of something, man, I wish I had that, you know, get off the internet, go look at what you have. Yeah. It's the wrong feedback loop. Correct. Yeah. And that's the challenge, I think. And, and, you know, we look at Instagram and everybody posts. I try to put my best pictures out there on Instagram. I never put the pictures out when I have sleep in my eyes and a booger hanging out of my nose or anything like that. I mean, it just, it just, that's, it's highly curated is the word. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> so. we, I've got I've got teenage girls that will spend, you know, 20 minutes doing makeup just to post a picture on <laughs> one, Instagram. One picture. Yeah, like one picture. <laughs> and then what are you doing? Oh, I should have gone to school today, but I really just wanted to stay home and do my makeup. Like even the value system has been completely deterred. And, you know, kids don't know how to deal with these things. And I think right now, especially, you have parents who are working two jobs who are you know, really dedicated to improving their lives, being able to provide for their kids. And you've got this population of kids who I can do it. I can handle it. Yeah. And because they are seeing so much online and because they're even our academics, you know, our school systems are really trying to do their best. So you do have a higher bar for these kids. And yeah, to a degree, I see a lot of confusion and resentment growing in our youth. Yeah. Because they don't understand why things are the way they are. We are past the generation of, well, because I told you so. Yeah. And people will still try to use it. That's when kids are like, uh-uh, I don't want to hear that. And so I, I have to say a lot of what I end up doing is what I like to call translation. <laughs> okay, well, your mom just said this. What she's meaning is this. And the kid's saying this, but what he's really trying to get across is this. You know, when kids are really aggressive at home or really upset at home, And you have the one parent that's like, why are they doing this to me? Like, they are coming after me. You know, I have to look at parents and say, well, what I hear you when you say that is your kid trusts that as mean as they can be, they know you're not going to leave. And that's a really hard thing for parents to kind of grasp because it's exhausting. It's exhausting to have your kid yell at you and tell you how much they hate you and how horrible you are. But when you get that kid one-on-one, they're like, yeah, but my parent won't leave me. Like everybody else has left me, but I can be as mean as I want to to my mom and she's not going to leave. And I don't know where else to put that anger. And, you know, parents who are like, well, I'm, I'm getting attacked. Well, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a lot of having to translate behavior in words. Yeah. Yeah. So as I look at the list of things that uh, CSI is doing, you do prevention and education, therapeutic foster care, day treatment, substance abuse services, mental health services, and as you said earlier, juvenile justice. So are all of these being utilized up here in this area, or are you finding that some of the services that you offer are needed more than others? So up here, we just opened this office in Rogers in July of last year. Yeah. So we've mainly focused on the juvenile justice case management piece and the mental health piece. Therapeutic foster care is definitely needed everywhere. The challenge that comes in is, you know, you look at training families when you think therapeutic foster care, you're looking at these kids who have been from home to home or kids who are really coming from an unstructured environment and all of a sudden being put in a structured environment. You know, their responses, they may not have learned appropriate coping skills at a young age. So you may have like sexually acting out behavior. So it's always a need. The challenge is finding families that have the right tools and the right support. Yeah, Where we have our therapeutic foster care, you know, Teresa Hamilton, she's amazing. She does a great job. And it is something that we will eventually expand up here because it is needed. But that takes a lot of prep and a lot of, of work. The DAYS program is really good. We don't have it up here right now. I would say from my experience just working in those kind of programs, it's a really touch and go thing. 
right now you have a lot of kids that are in need of services during the day. So like they need that therapeutic structure. They need to be able to have their like timeout time. I would say in this area, our schools have done an exceptional job trying to adapt and use those tools and techniques. Yeah. But you're still going to have those kids that really struggle. So when it comes to any kind of days program, you really kind of have to step back and say, okay, whenever you do it, you've really got to have the right staff, the right training, the right supports and finding families that'll commit and come in. And it does require a lot of the parents. And I would say that's probably the biggest challenge right now is any kids that go through the juvenile justice system or any kids that are really struggling. It is also a lot of need from the parents as well. And if I'm a parent and I'm trying to work a full-time job, but I have to go spend three hours for an intake or two hours for an appointment, you know, every other week, and now I've got to go pick up my kid from school to take him to an appointment, you know, it's a lot of demand on the parents. Sure. So, you know, I would say from our programs, we will definitely be expanding. But right now, I think we're trying to take the avenue of, okay, what's going to be most reasonable that we're asking of parents to? Mm-hmm. And how, and where are the other gaps? So like with a day's program, you're dealing with kids that really struggle with that day-to-day behavior and having to learn groups. And, you know, I know I've talked to some of the school districts to say, how can we help? Our substance abuse, we are growing here. We do actually offer some services. We do assessments. We have counseling. And we're looking at adding some groups and some classes. But we're trying to work with the area agencies that are already here too. You know, yeah. where are your gaps? How can we connect? Are there source, or resources we can pull with you? The Arkansas Women's Shelter, we've been trying to work with, especially with our domestic cases. When kids get really aggressive at home or there's just a lot of struggle in the home and that's where police are being called, we've, we're trying to work more with the shelter to say, okay, what services are you guys providing? They've been doing some groups in schools. So it may be us sharing resources and saying, okay, well, if we've got these kids, maybe we can help support doing a group in the school or, you know, really just trying to connect. We're trying to connect with the CAC up here to say, okay, if we've got these situations, how can we work in conjunction with you? How can we support these needs? So what does CAC stand for? Um, the Child Advocacy Center. Okay. So we, we're we really right now in that baby stage of trying to sit, figure out what all is here, what all is needed. We've been working with Speak Up About Drugs to see what services can be provided in the schools or what are some other groups or activities that they do. So we may work with them on some projects and just trying to grow. Yeah. And expand and yeah. really see where the, the gaps are up here. Wow. So, man, so you guys got your work cut out for you. Yeah. Right? But again, this is not uh, your first walk in the park, if you will. So yes, you guys no. have been doing that. So as you come here and expand, I'm assuming you're going to be hiring and, and bringing on some more people and trying to staff out. Are you covering all the, the four major cities in Northwest Arkansas now or can you? When you say four major cities, are you talking about? Fayetteville, Springdale. Rogers and Bentonville. Yes. So we also have an office in Springdale that is covering Springdale and Fayetteville. Okay. They're covering Washington County and we cover Benton County. Okay. All right. And that, that location in Springdale has been open around the same amount of time. Correct. Okay. I got you. All right. So Springdale for Washington County and Rogers for Benton County. Wow. So you guys are, yeah, you, there's a lot, there's a lot to be done up here. So yes, there's, there, there's definitely a need for a lot of support and services I think everywhere, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, you know, our society goes as our young people, as our youth go. And I think a lot of youth, our young people right now are, you know, kind of in that tweener phase where they don't really know what's going on. And I mean, we've got so many challenges in our country and the world in general. I mean, but you know, that's life is that way, right? I mean, we're, there's always yeah. going to be ups and downs. And I think, you know, a lot of times, like, <laughs> like I'm always trying to explain to my kids that, Listen, every day is not going to be a great day. You know, yeah. you're going to have some challenges. Some days are going to stink. Mm-hmm. Other days are going to be amazing. You know, this idea that you just you want to have have it all all the time is not sustainable. And I think sometimes we do our young people a disservice if we allow them to think or walk in <clears throat> yeah, that, that expectation that everything's, everything's going to be gonna OK. Be, yeah. I mean, I. I know there's a great book that I read that says that you there's trouble that you're going to have all the days of your life. So I'm 51, so I'm a little older than you. And I recognize that to be very true. Yeah. So when young people ask me, what, what would be one thing that you would tell me or what would you tell your your youthful self, you know, when you were 20? And I would just say, listen, be be willing to deal with the highs and the lows, right? Because, I mean, you're going to have them and there are going to be a lot of challenges. But But I also do believe that there's always some people out, there's always somebody willing to give a helping hand to be a supportive ear and 
to be in a place that is non-judgmental, but is more focused on helping you to be the best version of yourself. And that's really what I believe CSI represents. Yeah, I think I would agree. It, I think with a lot of our kids, especially the ones that we see in this office, it's a lot of just allowing them to be fallible yeah. and, and recognizing like to a degree, okay, you can, you're, everyone's going to be fallible. But what are you going to do with it? Because it is your life. It is, they've got to own the fact that some of these things aren't just happening to them. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I will see with kids is it's hard for them to see the consequence. It's hard for them to see what's going to happen because they made that choice. You mm-hmm. know, if your life is is a hallway of a hundred doors, they're all open when you're born. But the second you start making this choice, it might close up a door like seven feet away, but it's not necessarily going to really, you're not going to see the consequence of it until it's too late. Yeah. You're not going to understand the difference between oh, I've made this decision today. So, you know, I don't see anything happening now, but I noticed that this will happen later on. Right, right. So, and it's getting the kids to, yeah, you know, understand. I love it when a kid comes in my office and will tell me like, well, this is unfair because this is happening. And be it a school thing, be it a parent thing. And I'll ask them, okay, what always happens? Is this something you knew was going to happen? Is this something that you expected to happen? And get them to understand there are patterns. So you know when something's going to suck. Like You yeah. know it's coming down the path. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know, like, I don't want to be nagged by adults. Okay, well, what are they nagging you over? A, B, and C? Okay, well, then understand. You already have all the answers. Why are you complaining about something that you should be fully aware of? And you are the only person who has control. Mm-hmm. If, if you know that you need to get to school because they're going to keep calling you, go to school. Or deal with the fact that they're going to keep calling you. Yeah. You have to pick a side of the road. I saw something this morning that really spoke to me, and it's not everyone is a victim. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you really are making choices. You may feel helpless, but that learned helplessness has got to decrease. Yeah. You know, I, I'll tell kids all the time, I can't make it hurt any less, but I can make sure you're not alone while you're hurting. And I think that's just part of it. I can't fix the challenges. I can't make it easier, but I can guarantee you're not alone. Exactly. Yeah. And that, I think that's and I think we need to that's a, a refrain that we need to to say early and often, especially with young people. And I tell my sons this all the time. I have three boys, 16, 14 and 10. And, mm. you know, they are uh, <laughs> they think they know it all. And I'm just right? like, listen, just slow your roll, man. Don't grow up too fast. And, and, you know, it's the same stuff. I mean, that was told to me. Right. I wanted to grow up really fast. Yeah. At 16, I thought I knew it all and I wanted to do it all. And, you know, I just I recognize that trying to embrace the moment that you're in sometimes can be difficult yeah, and extremely difficult for young people. Yeah. So, you know. Well, and, it, and it's learning that delayed gratification. What is the purpose? Yeah. And I think when kids don't understand the purpose, but how are you going to understand the purpose? Like I, I think I said a little bit earlier with when I look at a kid who's 16 and pregnant in her mind, she's thinking, OK, well, I've got this. Like I've watched my younger siblings or I've done this and. She may be scared and she may be intimidated, but for the most part, she can't recognize the life she gave up because she's never experienced that Mm -hmm. life. And so, you know, when you have your kids looking at you and saying, well, I don't understand this or that's not how I see it. Well, that's because I can look at my kids and say, oh, I remember when I was boy crazy or, oh, I remember when I didn't want to go to school either because I experienced that. Your kid's never going to understand that. So the more that you keep It's like if a computer programmer sat in here and was like, well, obviously you should know that. Like, no, I I didn't learn that. I didn't experience that. I didn't see it. And that's where, you know, and this is not even like a now thing. This is how it's always been. When your parents would look at you and be like, trust me, I know how this is going to turn out. You're like, no, you don't know. Yeah. And then like 20 years later, you're like, (laughs) oh God, they're new and I wish they hadn't. Yeah. But that's just it. It's, It's really trying to explain something to them that they don't understand. If I only speak English and you start talking Japanese, like, it might take me a while to understand it. Yeah. And it's it's giving them that patience to recognize like, okay, then what can you do? What is within your rights to do? What is, you know, what is reasonable and what isn't? Yeah. And it's so funny as I'm sitting here, you think about that. And, and like I tell my kids this, and this is very true for young men. It You know, young men mature at a slower pace than women do even, right? So- that 16-year-old girl may be the equivalent of a 20-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so even like when I tell young 20-year-olds, I'm, I'm like, you still got, and I'm, you know, I'm talking to guys, I'm like, dude, you still got a ways to go, you know? And, and you know, I don't think I was 30 until I was fully, I mean, I was mature. I wasn't yeah. walk, acting, you know, like crazy, yeah. but I didn't really understand, understand until I hit 30. And there's something to that. 
just the way that the the male brain develops. Well, and, so. and, and I think it's that way for everybody. And when you grow up, I mean, that's just it, right? So when I grew up, I very much wanted to talk to people and listen to their stories. So I would talk to grown adults who had poor boundaries, God bless them. And they would tell me all about their lives, you know, just the <laughs> drama and the, you know, daylight, just the daytime Emmys version yeah. of their lives. Right. And, um, and so I, I had that opportunity to learn a lot because I talked to people sure. and because I came across more mature, you know, I'd, I had a grown woman once tell me when I, and I had to have been probably 15, 16, you know, about her domestic violence she was experiencing, you know, working with, you know, men who were diagnosed with AIDS and homeless. Like I really did want to learn everybody's story. I didn't know why, but it really paid off. So I was more aware. But of course, I grew up in this with a lot more challenges than my own kids are growing up with right now. Yeah. And so the fear is, I've kind of always been like, well, because I grew up in this hard way, I I learned a whole lot. I can adapt. I get it. Oh my gosh, my kids aren't going to grow up in that. Are they going to get it? Right. Like, do you have to go through a hard time to be a level-headed person? And you don't. I mean- my oldest daughter has a lot of good skills and my youngest daughter has a lot of good skills and they are so completely different on two ends of the spectrum. But it, it really is just me looking at them and saying, you know what, you've got whatever challenges come your way, like you've got it. Yeah, I need you to just continue to remind yourself like you can do it. It's going to be hard. You're going to cry. You're not going to like it. You're going to have to make hard decisions at some point. If you don't make a hard decision today, your hardest decision is going to come later on. You're just delaying it and making it harder if you don't do it now. And so it it really is kind of teaching them those skills of, do you want to take it now or do you want to keep holding out? Yeah. And and getting them to learn that because, ooh, they are a challenge. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. And I think that that's a great place where we can kind of wrap this up. And, and, you know, you, you bring up some great points. And I think that anybody listening to this that has a young person that may be going through some challenges. And if you as a parent are challenged or vexed by uh, maybe your inability to reach them in a, in a unique way, you know, that's why programs like CSI are available. And I think a lot of times we don't realize the support that we actually have in our own community. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast, tell a little bit about your story, which I think was hugely interesting as well as CSIs, because I think also kids want to know that whoever I'm talking to is not just selling me a bill of goods and they don't really, they haven't been there. They haven't even, because you don't, you know, I kind of need to know how to swim if I'm going to be a lifeguard. Yep. Right. And that means I've had to put myself in the water and learn and kind of go through that. And you've gone through your own lifeguarding lessons and become a lifeguard of sorts. And so I think it's important. And when young people see that, then they gravitate towards you or anyone else that's in that same situation a lot more. Then people that are just like, oh, well, get over it. You're just young and, you know, you'll grow out of it. And now sometimes they don't, you know, yeah. and that's that's the problem. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah. No, kids are definitely, <laughs> they, they see the experience, whether they recognize it or not. I think yeah. that's definite. And I think it is also a matter of, you know, making sure that authenticity, I think, is the biggest thing with kids. Yeah. You don't have to be right. You don't have to be wrong, but at least be authentic. If yeah. you don't know, you don't know. And I, I would say one of the biggest hurdles I even had as a parent, even despite my experience was with my oldest daughter, I would give her, you know, this advice, right? So I have tons of kids that I talk to and I give them advice. And they're like, oh, that makes so, and they love it. I'd give my daughter the same advice. She would never listen to it. So even for parents to understand, like, it's not even, even though you may be saying exactly what your kid needs to hear, sometimes kids need to hear it from somewhere else yeah. because they also have their bias of I'm not going to buy into what you're saying because you're my parent. Yeah. You know, it's just like I always I used to joke. It's like a lot of times you being the parent, if you're a parent and you're to your kid, you sound like Charlie Brown's teacher to yep. your kid. Exactly. That's all that they hear. Just mwah, get somebody mwah, else to mwah, say the mwah. exact same exactly. thing and then they'll hear it. It's the ultimate Jedi mind trick. Yes. And it just for whatever reason, it does work. So. Yes. <laughs> So listen, how do people reach out to you if they want to connect with you, if they want to connect with CSI and uh, maybe they need help or maybe they have a family member that, you know, that's having some struggles with their child? I mean, what, what's the best way for them to connect with you guys? I would say definitely going on to our Facebook page or our webpage, which is at www.csiyouth.com or find us on Facebook at Community Service Inc., and uh, reach out to us that way is probably the best way to get a hold of us. I know coming up, we've got that NWA Gives. Sure. So, you know, any kind of support we can get there, you know, we're always looking for it because the more support we get, the more we can give. Sure. But that's in April, right? Yeah. I think it's April 8th. April 8th. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to be 
We will be, I, this will come out sometime around then, but uh, we'll certainly be putting out a, pl- a plug for a lot of organizations. We've had Single Parent Scholarship Fund of NWA and so many other programs on this show, and we're certainly going to be plugging all of them and trying to gin up some support. And because this is a giving community, so yeah, I agree. Yeah, so. but yeah, I'd say those are the best ways to get a hold of us. And okay. if if it's an individual parent that's just really struggling, they're always welcome to you know call our office if they need to. Yeah. And that's What's that office number? Four seven nine two seven eight seven zero two eight. Yeah, and all of this will be two seven eight. What was the last part of it? Seven zero two eight. Seven zero two eight. Okay. Yeah, all of this will be in our show notes, so they'll be able to find out information about uh, Amanda and her team here in Rogers, as well as contact information for the Springdale office, and then just information in general about CSI. And you can read about them and learn about all the programs that they offer and things that will be coming here very soon to and here being Northwest Arkansas. So, wow, we really appreciate this. So when you're not doing this and you get to <laughs> let your hair down here in Northwest Arkansas, because this, this podcast is about <clears throat> Northwest Arkansas still, what do you like to do? Maybe pre-pandemic, right? Because <laughs> you have yeah. to qualify. Now, nowadays, like for the last year, people, because it's been, it'll be a year this week. I mean, my last flight was actually March 13th. So it's been oh, wow. almost a year since I've been on a plane, since I've gone yeah. anywhere. It's been crazy. So everything's changed. But prior to all of that, what did you do to have, have fun here in Northwest Arkansas? Oh, see, and I'm such a workhorse that <laughs> <laughs> there's, I mean, it. It's a little bit of everything. I think what I appreciate about it being up here is I did grow up in a pretty dangerous area, okay. um, pretty crime-ridden area, and up here, it just it's warm, it's welcoming, it's safe, and everyone is so nice and accommodating and helpful, and I don't know, like my family and I would just kind of go out here and there, and we just dabble. We're dabblers. dabblers. Um, yeah, we don't have like specific, like we don't go on trails, and we don't like do certain things, but we may randomly one day be like, let's go on a trail. Yeah. So um, at least you, at least you have the option to do that. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that I would say is probably the piece is that just that ADHD last minute impulsive decision of let's go do this. And you can, you can, you can go to the lake, you can go on a trail, you can go walk around the square, you can go downtown Rogers, you can go listen to music. I think my husband and I love the food the most. Okay. So what's so, your favorite restaurant? Well, oh. And I know that's a hard that, one, no, right? No, that's an so. insanely tough one because um, my husband and I have a tradition for our wedding anniversary. We, we don't do gifts. We don't do anything else. We just pick a new restaurant we've never gone to. Okay. And we like, we just save the little money pot and then we just go buy, like order a bunch of random stuff just to enjoy, you know, time. Where and did you, you go on your last anniversary? Mm, oh my gosh. Where did we go? I know we've gone to like Preacher's Son. We've yeah. gone to... Now, have you been to Preacher's Son with Matt Cooper there or with the new chef, Neil Gray? It would have been three years ago. Okay, so that was with Matt Cooper. Now, they have a new chef, Neil Gray, and he's actually been on the podcast as well. Both amazing chefs, totally different type of cooking, but still now, uh, Neil Gray, who is the new chef at the Preacher's Son, still does some gluten-free items, but I just recently went there. That's why I'm speaking about them. But yeah, I, I mean, there's, yeah. there's a lot of places I would highly recommend that you go back there when you get a chance. But there are so many great restaurants. Yeah, it's I think we went hard. to Bluefin this last yes, year. Yes, Bluefin is and good And then too. I think we went to The Hive the year before. Yeah. So um, All good restaurants. Yeah, I mean, all and, really good and we kind of go, we'll go to even dive bars and stuff too. It's just trying something new and we have a long list that's pending. Yeah. Have you, have you been to Maxine's Tap Room down no. in Fayetteville? You got to no. check it out. So most of the restaurants we've gone to have literally been in like Bentonville area right. and Rogers. We haven't even made it to like Springdale and Fayetteville that's yet. That's crazy. But we're working on it. We're going to slowly work the way down. Yeah. And downtowns, that's the cool thing is that, and that's the thing I like about being here is that even though when I, I moved here from Boston, we, we love driving around because I don't mind driving up to Bentonville to yeah. go eat. I don't really care. And, and I can eat just as well in Fayetteville, but like, so Leverett Lounge and Maxine's Tap Room run and owned by the same people, Hannah Withers, shout out to her, but Maxine's Tap Room is a great speakeasy bar that I would highly encourage you to check out. And even I know this spring, as we're still coming out of this pandemic, they have outdoor seating. And so it's really cool. And Leverett Lounge has this Korean fried chicken that is absolutely insane. Yeah, that. it is. It's really We're just gonna good. Have, like, have, yeah. you, have you been to Havana's here? Yeah. Yes. Okay. We've so. done Havana's. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, you know, and it's interesting when you say like driving, being from Boston and driving to Fayetteville and Bentonville, I would say that was one of 
there were a few bits of culture shock when I moved up here. And I would say that is the biggest one when you have people that are like, oh, <laughs> if you live in Penville or you live in Fayetteville, you don't drive in between. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I would have to drive like 25 minutes to go to a place that I would just normally go yeah. in my hometown. Like, And it was like, oh, that's a quick drive. Yeah, exactly. Like, my school took me probably 45 minutes to drive to every morning. So oh, like, yeah. no, that's it's that's so hilarious. bizarre to me. Oh, I know. Yeah. And I mean, now listen. I'm here. I'm like, oh, it's a trip down to Fayetteville. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, I've got to <laughs> pack a lunch. It's a yes. long way to go. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. I digress. So, well, listen, we really appreciate this. Amanda Childs, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for sharing your story, your transparency is a breath of fresh air for sure. And what you guys are doing here at CSI Community Service Inc. is important. And so I want to support you any way that I can. Anybody listening to this, if you are really moved by what Amanda's doing, we'll make sure all of her contact information is in the show notes. You can reach out to her if you want to give to this organization, because it does sound like they're really doing cool things. This is probably a good organization to sow into. So I want to encourage you guys, all my listeners to do that because my listeners are givers too. So we really appreciate you. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks, there is another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas, the podcast. To learn more about us or to read or download the show notes from today's episode, you can even get the transcript of all that Amanda and I just talked about. Visit IamNorthwestArkansas.com. You can listen to this podcast and sign up for a free newsletter to keep up with us and all things NWA. Sign up today. You can subscribe to the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast wherever you listen to it. And please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. As a reminder, our podcast comes out every Monday. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you back here next week for another episode of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. Peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. Check us out each and every week, available anywhere that great podcasts can be found. For show notes or more information on becoming a guest, visit IamNorthwestArkansas.com. We'll see you next week on I Am Northwest Arkansas.